Welcome to the My Big Church Podcast. On this podcast, you will hear a message of hope and inspiration from one of our pastors. We hope you enjoy the message. This is the Big Church Podcast. Uh, When we received the invitation to come here, on the intake form, it said uh, a lot of Gen Z and a lot of millennials. And I've been doing ministry for a number of years, and I'm like, sure. Uh Uh-huh. A lot of churches think that they're reaching millennials. And I walked into this place, and I was shocked at how many of the next generation call this place home. So I want to affirm both of you guys for taking that step. It's very daring and bold. For the generation that is not Gen Z, that is not millennial, I want to say thank you for calling this home because we need you to continue fighting and making a way for us. We need your wisdom. We need your insight. We need your loyalty to the church. We need your commitment. When I say to the church, I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the capital C church. But if you call this your church, I'm even asking for loyalty there. There's power when we commit to something. And um, during worship, I want to just take a pause, and I hope my timer isn't on because, you know, a word from God. Okay, great. We might go just a little bit over. But, but uh, I had this, 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 this mental image, and it was all these puzzle pieces. And I just want to let you guys know, God has given you the pieces that you need for this house. And I get emotional because as a church planter, it takes a lot to start a church. It takes a lot to start a church. My husband and I are almost six months in. I have to get control of my voice because I'm getting emotional, sound like sheep woman. <clears throat> it's very hard to start a church. God has given you a vision. Stay committed to that vision. God's giving you the pieces that you need, and in his time, he's divinely aligning those pieces to create the vision that God has deposited in your heart. If this is your church, I'm going to ask you very boldly and brazenly to make a commitment to this church. I hope it's financially because that's biblical, but I hope that y'all are at three services by the end of the year because you are so dedicated and so passionate to the call of this house. We can't grow this house if you're not committed. And people are always kind of like, like, why is the church always asking things for me? Um, Jesus is asking things for you. And if this is your home, make it your home. Don't just give in the, you know, in the little. Well, I gave enough. We serve a God of more than more than enough. And I'm telling you, we'll get to it in a minute, in the word, the more that we give our life away, the more that God entrusts us with different things. So thank you guys for welcoming into your house. I pray and believe that the seeds that were sown this weekend reap a huge harvest. Thank you for staying committed to the local church. All right, now restart my timer, brother. Amen. Okay. Um, Pastor Mindy and I never, we've never formally met, but we met yesterday, and she told me that she read uh, the book Play With Fire, so you're going to know this, but I don't think anyone else in here will know this, but um, I have been passionate. Hold on, I've got to chew my mint real quick. <laughs> Couldn't have coffee breath talking to y'all. I am passionate about, uh, I love Hebrew history. I love Jewish culture. And in my book, I mentioned that the first time the Bible came alive to me was in fifth grade in Sunday school. Does anyone here serving kids ministry? Will you raise your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me tell you, those ratchet kids who probably haven't been spanked enough in the week, let me tell you something. You're affecting their lives. You are impacting their lives. Do not think that there's a Sunday that goes by that you aren't planting seeds in their heart. Because I had a teacher, a Sunday school teacher by the name of Mr. Charles. Mr. Charles was a man from the South, the Baptist background who loved the word. 
He had skin as dark as chocolate, a voice, an accent as thick as molasses, and a voice as sweet as sweet tea. And when he opened up the pages of scripture, it was like the characters came alive. And I remember uh, being able to cognizantly be aware of him telling us about a people group, God's chosen people, the Hebrew people, the Jews. And I remember sitting there listening and saying, I want to be chosen. And he told us about this exodus that they went on. They were slaves for 400 years, and God had called them to be set free, and they were about to embark on the land called the promised land. And I remember sitting there as a first-generation American, obese, illiterate at the age of 12, living in the hood on a one-income family, being homeschooled and special, not in a good way, and thinking, I want to be chosen. So I began praying some really big prayers. I said, please, God, please, God, make me a Jew. And then I realized that it don't work like that. You can't pray yourself into Jewishness. So then I started praying other prayers. I said, I said, please, God, please, God, let me marry a Jew so my children will be chosen. And then once my theology corrected and I realized you can't pray yourself into be a Jew, I decided that I'm going to go through God's word. And what I discovered is that I am chosen. I'm a wild olive branch grafted into the family of God to which I say yes and amen. But don't discount prayers that you pray at young ages. Because not a year ago, I, my husband and I were doing some ministry work in London. I was speaking at a conference. He was consulting for a church. And uh, we touched down at Heathrow International Airport. And I turned on my phone. And as, I'm tur- as I turned on my phone, I uh, got a text, influx of emails and text messages. And there was a one text message from my mom. And my mom had texted all of the kids. There's five kids in my family. And she texted all of us and said, hey, I submitted my uh, DNA to Ancestry.com. And here's a snapshot of my heritage. We are so excited. You know, my mom's a Puerto Rican one. So she, on there, there's like huge percentage of like Spaniard and Iberian. But then we discovered that she was 15% British. So I was like, hello, governor, I'm in the motherland. You know, like, she's like a sport of tea. And I was just feeling very, like, very proud to be British. And then we found out my mom is 16% Sudanese. Oh, what up, Wakanda? Like, yeah, all right, I'm in it, I'm in. And then as I'm scrolling through, I see something that my eyes will never forget. My mom is 1% Jew. I turned to my husband and I said, Baruch Hashem Adonai. Baby, I'm a Jew. I'm Jewish, all right? I'm half a percent. I was so excited. Do not discount the prayers that you pray as a child because it may take 20 years, but you will get there, all right? And since I am a a, a good Jew and you Gentiles don't know my people, I'm going to teach you about one of the smartest men in known Bible history. I want you to pull out your Bible to the book of Proverbs. And I'm going to tell you about my wise uncle, Solomon, who penned this book. Now, we're going to be going through the book of Proverbs, and all the verses today are rooted in this book because I'm praying that there is a word of wisdom for all of us through the word of God. God, as we come before you, we ask that you just illuminate this text Let it come to life, and may this verse germinate in our heart for years to come. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Proverbs 24, 16. I'll give you a second to get there. If not, the scriptures are on the screen. I would encourage you to just to write this down. Because as students of God, God's word, you will not remember everything that pastors communicate on a Sunday. But when you write it down and you hear it, you are 47% more likely to remember it. But if you hear it, write it down, and speak it, you are 68% more likely to remember it. Why? Because our words are awesome? No, because God's word is divine. And we get to put that in our hearts. So I want you to become students of God's word. Bring your Bible, bring your notebook, bring your iPhone, your iPad, whatever form of I things that you use. And turn with me to Proverbs 24, 16. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Do we have the scriptures on the screen? Yes, thank you. What happens in life where you've taken way too many blows, you feel pummeled, you feel knocked down, you feel like you are face on the mat, whether by your own choices or your own circumstances or circumstances that have happened to you, what happens when you feel like you've lost your breath and you can't get back up? What you do is you get back up. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them, look at them in the eye, make it awkward and say, get back up. Yes. Oh, I like the way you said it. We in Kentucky, y'all don't mess. Sometimes I go to some churches and they're like, get back up. No, no, not here. Uh-uh. Not the home of bourbon and makers, Mark. Y'all know. Get back up. Yes. The reason why this message is poignant to me is because this has been one of the hardest years of my life. In fact, at the close of 2018, I was having just some real talk with my husband and I turned to him and I said, baby, I feel like I am in the ninth and 10th and 11th round of a boxing match. I feel like I have been punched and pummeled and bruised so many times. I feel like 2018 did me dirty. You guys ever felt like that? Yeah. You know, whether it's like starting a business and like this new newness to it, or it's launching a church or launching a ministry or birthing a baby or terminated friendships broken hearts, launching into dreams and aspirations, dealing with sick family members emotionally, psychologically, and physically, raising teenagers. Oh, Jesus. We're saying no to carbohydrates. <laughs> I want you to take all those things, and that was my 2018. I felt like I was knocked out. And my husband looks without missing a beat, and he said, but B... You're like Rocky, and you got back up. And he did me dirty on two reasons. One of all, well, first of all, you know when he's trying to be a pastor, and I'm like, no, you can't be a pastor right now. I need you to sit in the muck in the mire with me and be like, poor thing, it's okay. And he didn't, no. And the second thing is, you know those people that are cheery when you just want to be angry? Yeah. And I, I was just like, you did me dirty because you spoke about one of my favorite movie characters of all time. Now, uh, if you have never seen Rocky, uh, two things. I don't know if we could be friends. And two, I question your salvation, okay? <laughs> the Rocky Empire is one of my favorites. And so when he said Rocky, it was almost like a lock, a padlock on my heart had kind of opened up. And to make sure that we're on the same page, 
Uh, who has never seen Rocky? Raise your hand. Any of the Rockies? Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Today, your homework is to go watch all 18 of the Rocky Empires, okay? To make sure we're on the same page, because the, the heathen people in here clearly need a background history of Rocky. Rocky 1, a guy from Philly raises up, knocks someone out, amazing. Rocky 2, he goes against an arch nemesis by the name of Apollo Creed. In Rocky 3, Apollo Creed and, and Rocky go head to head, but become BFFs at the end of it. But then in Rocky 4, the Russian by the name of Ivan Drago comes onto the scene and says something amazing. I will break you, all right? Well, in an exhibition fight between Apollo Creed and Ivan Drago, Ivan Drago takes a cheap shot and kills Apollo Creed. And then there's Apollo, I mean, then there's Rocky V, and then there's Rocky VI, which is Rocky Balboa, but it's technically Rocky VI, and then there's a bunch of other movies that come after that. But what we don't know in, Apollo four, in uh, Rocky IV is Apollo Creed had an illicit affair and birthed a child by the name of Adonis Creed. Mm. Praise the Lord for Michael B. Jordan. Amen. Ladies in the house, I need you to do this, but kind of do this, okay? <laughs> Apollo Creed came out, or excuse me, Creed came out a couple years ago, and the, uh, Creed 2 came out just recently. And I remember, um, as I'm watching this film, I felt like something in my soul had changed as I was watching this movie. I, I, wanna know, I want you to know that in all Rocky movies, <clears throat> it's not just about the fight in the ring, it's about the fight outside of the ring as well. This message, and those movies aren't about boxing. This message today is about life, about real life, perhaps even about your life, because we're all gonna fall down and not wanna get back up, but we must. The fact that you are here this morning tells me that you haven't let the enemy knock you down. You have gotten back up. But for us to, to get back up, we need to acknowledge where we are at in our fight. Paul says that we are in a fight. Paul says that we are soldiers. Paul says that we are farmers. Paul says that we are boxers, not aimlessly beating the wind. Proverbs 24, 16, to read it again, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. I want to piece this verse out really quick. For note takers and Bible scholars, the word fall in Hebrew isn't like a moral fall or a moral failing. The word fall here is a, a temptation. The word fall here is a trial or tribulation. And so what he's saying is, though the righteous fall, the providence of God, he trusts in. The goodness of God, he trusts in, and he gets back up. But the caveat here that King Solomon gives us is that he's clear about what type of man will get back up. And FYI, there's a lot of ladies in the place with style and grace. I'm going to tell you that this applies to you because this is man as in humanity, not man as in gender. And back it up. You can look it in Hebrew if you don't believe me. What we are referencing here is that the fall is a trial or tribulation, and the person to get back up is a righteous person. A righteous man may fall, but they get back up. 
righteous. That's interesting. So it's a type of person that has the fortitude and the wherewithal to get back up. See, the righteous get back up, but the ratchet, the ratchet ain't so. Uh-uh, let me back it up with scripture. And some people are like, what is ratchet? Ratchet is like evil, wicked people doing all the things that, not, that God doesn't want them to do. Proverbs 14.32 says that the wicked are overthrown by calamity. Oh, so the wicked take a lick and they hit the floor screaming, I've fallen and I can't get up. But the righteous get back up. A righteous man will fall seven times, but get back up. Now, how many times does the righteous fall? Seven. Hmm, Bible scholars, that's interesting. Does anyone know in biblical numerology what the number seven represents? Completion and or perfection. Oh, that's interesting. So even in moments of perfection, even in moments of completion, we will have trial, trauma, and tribulation. But get back up. Now, when trial and tribulation come, we need to know our enemy. Do you know your enemy? And we can get real biblical here and be like, the devil. But I want us to identify some real enemies in our life. See, for Eve in the Garden of Eden, it was a snake causing her to be in temptation. For young David, it was Goliath. For Samson, it was the Philistines. See, when you go to battle, you have to know who your enemy is or else you won't know how to beat them. There's a scene in, in the movie Creed where Rocky tells Adonis they're in front of a mirror. And he has his, his, his pre-boxing mindset, his training going on. And in the full dramatics of this scene, we have Rocky with his protege staring at the mirror. And he said, I want you to put your gloves up. And I want you to see the person in the mirror. When they throw a punch at you, what's going on? And Adonis replies back and says, there's a punch coming back at me. And he said, the guy staring at you? is your enemy, is your toughest opponent. And every time you get into the ring, the person staring at the mirror is the one that you are going against. See, when we talk about trial and tribulation, our automatic instinct is to look at someone else and blame them. We could sit here and be like, it's my dad, it's my mom, it's my boss, it's my dream that didn't come, it's my kids, it's my addiction. But sometimes our greatest enemy is the one staring back at us in the mirror. It's not the person you're married to. It's not the child that betrayed you or the boss that fired you. It's not even the dream that has escaped you. It might be you and all the things that you are telling yourself to believe. And this is why Rocky explained to Adonis, every time a punch is coming at you, as they're staring in the mirror, Adonis says, there's a punch coming back at me. And I don't know about you, but I have found this true even in my own life. Every time I try to overcome a negative thought, every time I try to say no to the devil, every time that I try to reconcile with someone, there's a voice and an enemy coming back at me. And it's an enemy that you can't see. It's a voice. And sometimes, sometimes, or maybe it's just me, every time that I try to mentally convince myself not to believe that lie or not to step into that temptation, I feel like there is a punch being thrown back at me. And my mind goes down roads that it should never go down. But see, I'm not alone in this and neither are you. Because Paul wrote to the Romans and in Romans chapter 7, he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that's the thing I'm doing. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. And if my Bible boyfriend, a learned man of multiple languages who penned two-thirds of the New Testament, still wrestled, I find grace in that. Praise God. Praise God. 
There will be moments where you are wrestling with yourself. There's another war that's going on, and it's a war of the mind. Now, as someone who has uh, participated in recreational boxing on and off for a couple years, the number one thing that we are taught, with the two most important things, is our stance and our guard. See, if you come at me and I'm flat-footed and my arms are down, you can knock me out. But if I stagger my stance and I'm on my toes and I put my guard up, I dare you to try to step to me. I dare you to try to step to me. The second thing besides the stance is our guard. This is the W right here, right here. This is how I remember the W right here. All I do is win. That's how I remember the W, all right? Why do we put our guard up? To protect our moneymaker. Oh, no. No, that's not why. That was a bad answer. We put our guard up to protect the most valuable things in battle. Our head, our eyes, and our ears. Guard this zone. So if you're taking note, I want you, first point number one is know your enemy. Under point number one, I need you to write down these points, whether that's an A or a sub point. Number one, protect your head. Why? Proverbs 23, 7 says, as someone thinks within himself, so he is. So think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're thinking about. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever things are lovely, think about such things. So number two, protect your eyes. See, if I take a blow to the head, that'll knock me out. I won't, I, I'll be able to see double. I won't have great clarity. I might have a holy concussion, if you know what I'm saying. Protect your head. Number two, protect your eyes. If you take a blow to the eye, it could swell an eye shut completely, or it can cut an eyelid up here that would cause blood to drip into your eye. You can't see where you're going. Proverbs 4:25. let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. You need your vision. Wow. Number three, protect your ears. If you take a hit to the ear, you can cause a ring or even a busted eardrum that will enable you from hearing your coach telling you what to do. Guard what you're listening to. Proverbs 19:20. listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. So those are three points under point number one. Point number two, know your defense. So what's point number one? Yes, Bible students. What's point number two? Know your defense. As Rocky as explaining uh, this defense mechanism to Adonis, he says, Hey, when a punch comes at you, when a punch comes at you, you have to block it, slip it, or get out the way. What is he explaining to him? Defense tactics. So friends, when you go to battle, what are your defense tactics? It's going to look different for all of us because we don't all wrestle with the th same things. You have to do the work and figure out what are my defense tactics. How am I fighting against my enemy? When the enemy comes at me with lies, how am I going to block it? With the truth of God's word. When the enemy comes and throws spears at me like Solomon did to David, we got to slip out the way. When a hot-looking person wants to get naked to you but you ain't married, what you going to do? You got to get out the way is what you need to do because they may be hot but so is hell, all right? You don't need that mess. You don't need that mess. Dip out. It's been said that winning is 90% mental and 10% physical. Some of the greatest athletes, most talented athletes, will fail again and again and again because they aren't mentally strong. Now, I want to acknowledge sometimes there will be actual problems. 
that you will have an actual enemy, maybe a stronghold, a lie, an addiction. But more often than not, our challenges are going to come in the form of our own self. And when you come to accept the fights that you're in have nothing to do with someone else, you can actually build a framework for your defense. The fight isn't always on the outside. The fight sometimes begins within. Proverbs 13, 6 says this, Righteousness guards the person of integrity. So what's my guard? When I've tried all my defense mechanisms, when I've tried to say no to the devil, I've got to trust that righteousness guards a person of integrity. What is integrity? Doing what is right when no one else is watching. I heard a story of Joe Frazier, a lightweight champion in the 1970s, when they asked him, hey, you know, what does it feel like to win this great championship and, and all the lights are on you? And he says, you never win the fight on that day. You win the fight by showing up in the gym with no lights and no audiences and no cheers. That's when you win the fight. And we're going to have to come to a place where sometimes what I, my, my fear is that <clears throat> we think that one day everything's going to happen amazing. We're going to one day step into our victory. One day that stronghold's going to be broken. One day that addiction's going to be gone. No, it's an everyday step in the right direction. And people, when you begin to have victory, people might say, I hope and pray against it, but people might say, why did they get that breakthrough? Maybe you've been sitting here looking at someone else and say, how come they got that house? How come they got that favor? How come they get to be on platform? Why did he get to go there? Why did she get to do that? Why did they get chosen for that role? And here's the thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe because they were willing to do in private what you only want to do in public. It begins in the closet. It begins in the war room. It begins on our knees without other people looking at what we want. No, 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 no. When they are beat down, they get back up. Why? Because for the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And in so many ways, this is how the fight is going to be won. Just by getting back up. Just get back up. And I, uh, again, I'm going to reiterate this again. This fairy godmother bippity boppity boom moment where we transform and all of a sudden all strongholds are broken is not going to happen yeah. you know there's this song by brooke frazier at a hill song i'm a child of god I am who you say i am though the uh, sun sets free he is free indeed i am a child of god i hear this beautiful anthem sung in church and sometimes i get worried because we sing about it, we write about it, we think about it, we teach about it, we even preach about it, but do we believe it? I am a child of the Most High God. The spirit that resurrected Jesus from the grave is alive in me. Every stronghold must be broken in the name of Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When are we gonna be a people that actually freaking believe it? We have authority in the name of Jesus. Don't sing about it. Don't pray about it. Begin to believe it. I'm going to challenge you because some people might feel like they're experiencing a heart of concrete. I've been around church for a really long time. I've heard this same verse preached a number of times. I just don't know if I believe it. Can you get back up? Can you believe it yet again? And I, in my own flesh, it said, 
Righteousness guards people with integrity. Um, in my own flesh, I'm not a righteous person. But I am told in Isaiah that I've been given a robe of righteousness. So I get to stand back up like a boxing champion and be like, God's robe of righteousness are, is protecting me. And remember, this movie, I mean, excuse me, this message is not about movie. This message isn't about boxing. This message is about what happens with the universal fight that we all experience. The fight that takes place in front of the mirror every single morning when you get back up. So for those that feel like <clears throat> their enemy is the one thing standing in front of them in the mirror, I want to speak to your heart. And the reason why this is so poignant and so important to me in this season is because the world needs to see you get back up. When Rocky took down Drago to avenge the death of his best friend, Apollo Creed, there's this scene where Ivan Drago knocks him out and he looks like he's not going to get back up and he's on the mat, completely knocked out, unconscious, swollen face, closed eyes, bloody and bruised, bludgeoned by fists, iron fists of, Ru of the Russian Drago. And he's on the floor. I remember watching as a kid and saying, get up, Rocky. Get up, Rocky. Get up, Rocky. And you see this tired, listless, beaten up man stand to his feet. And I remember thinking, if Rocky can get back up, I can get back up. But let me tell you something. The next generation is looking at you when you get knocked down by the enemy and looking. Do they believe in what they really say they do? Is their God big enough to be their all-sufficient? When they see us get back up, their faith is renewed. And this, there will be creeds in our wake that will look at you and say, do you believe? And here's the thing. This will be our legacy. The problem is that we think that this is about us. This is not about you or your battle. See, because Eve may have fallen in the Garden of Eve. But her legacy has left us as the mother of all humanity. And David fell with Bathsheba. But Israel became one of Israel's greatest kings. And this was his legacy. And, and, and Samson broke, uh, uh, broke his vow with Delilah. He made a mistake. But he ended up conquering the Philistines. And that was his legacy. Legacy matters, friends. Legacy completely matters. The Bible's full of genealogies. What are genealogies? basically a written family tree, to chronicle the origins of our family of faith. And we could easily skip over these as like Hebrew phone books, like, yeah, so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. They had this baby and this baby and this baby daddy. But I don't want us to miss the power of our spiritual heritage. Yeah, yeah. When we discuss legacy, we must understand that it is more than Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of legacy bequeathing a house or a lot or some land. No, no, no. There is a spiritual legacy that, is th that we get to impart to the next generation. The idea of biblical legacy is a transference of, of our faith to the next generation. The art that you create, the songs that you write, the churches you build, the scientific breakthroughs that you have, the financial freedom that sets you free, the businesses that you start, the children that you raise, the classrooms that you're teaching and you impact, the music that you compose, this is going to be our legacy to the next generation. And with every sacrifice endured, with every trial conquered, with every tribulation that has 
cause you to stop and you still got back up, you are adding to the foundation of faith that has been laid from generation to generation. It is a ripple effect. Here's the thing. You will have a legacy. The question is whether your legacy will be good or not. I'm going to call the band up here, and I just want to, if, if that's okay, yeah, is that okay? Yeah, I'm going to call the band up here. Legacy doesn't have to mean leaving a mansion. It doesn't have to be a trust fund. A legacy could be as simple and as world-changing as loving others as you love yourself and honoring those around you. The outsider, the other, the single mom, the immigrant, the wayward, the special needs. And we can find purpose in ordinary acts of everyday life. Uh, when those simple acts are placed in the hands of a mighty God, just wait and see what God does with your faith. And part of the problem with our postmodern culture is that we are obsessed with the me. We are obsessed with myself. What does this mean to me? How is this going to help me? How, is, uh, is, how will I win because of this? I Dare I say, we discover our purpose and our life becomes more purposeful when we give it away to others. We discover a new sense of our life when we give our life away. Back that up with scripture, Bianca. Oh, I will. Jesus, in John 3.16, gave his life away for humanity. Paul knew this in Acts 20.35, and he gave his life away. I pour myself out like a drink offering. Queen Esther knew this in the face of trial and trauma and tribulation. Their purpose was, was, was proven when they got back up because Jesus was crucified, hung on a cross, and in his last breath, he said, to tell his thought, it is finished. He was buried and put in a grave, and three days later, he got back up. And Queen Esther, before King Artaxerxes bowed down and prayerful before, said, I got to go to God for my people. I got to fight for my people. She went to the most powerful man in that world that happened to be her husband. And before this moment, she said, if I perish, I perish. And King Artaxerxes said, get back up. And she did. And Paul, Paul who was stoned, Paul who was cursed, Paul that was dragged outside of the city, left to die and stoned. And I'm not talking about like weed. He was like stoned with rocks, all right? left outside to die. People thought he was dead, but guess what? He got back up and dragged himself to the next city preaching the gospel of God. I firmly believe that when we give our life away, our purpose is found. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. We will fail, we will fall, and we will falter, but we always must get back up. Sam Chan, author of Leadership Pain, says, when we begin to see our pain as a great leader, the more pain that we endure, the more growth that we will experience. There is more in you. Will you please, for the glory of God and the next generation, get back up. Spirit of God, we ask that you just invade our hearts in this moment. We believe that Worship prepares us for the word, and then word prepares us to worship. So we seal this moment of worship. And thank you, God, that through your spirit, though we are tired, though we feel knocked down, though we might even feel like we've experienced a TKO and we're on the mat, Spirit of God, breathe new life into us 
so that we are empowered to get back up for your glory, for your name, and for your fame. In the mighty name of Jesus, fill our hearts. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message on the My Big Church podcast. We thank everyone who has given to support this ministry. To find out more about how to support financially or more about Big Church, you may visit our website, mybigchurch.com. If you live in the Louisville, Kentucky area and don't have a church home, we would love to have you as our guest at Big Church. We are located at 7209 Faganbush Lane in Louisville, and we have worship services at 945 and 1130 every Sunday. Thank you again for listening to the My Big Church podcast.